Alright, here we go. Take one. <laughs> I've heard, I read this somewhere. It's, um, it goes something like this. If you don't heal for those who have hurt you, you will bleed on those who never cut you. You know, as this podcast has created friends for me all over the country and, you know, at times, I guess we could say now all over the world, I felt honored as my guest today, he reached out to me with an interest in sharing his trials and his tribulations that he's been dealing with during, you know, these very troubling times that we've all been dealing with. And when I think about the best way in handling this type of stuff, the greatest advice, again, as a counselor, is to talk about things. And sometimes, you know, we need to just get things off of our chests. Sometimes the idea of handling our problems over to somebody else so that they can worry about those problems can be a relief for us. Now, I hope you continue to listen today so that you can be a part of listening to this man's story, and even putting messages of hope, and maybe offer assistance yourself that can maybe help comfort this man. So please stay tuned. I'll see you in a I want to thank everybody for deciding to get high with me on High Wall Clean. My name is Eric McCoy. You know, debating has been something that I have enjoyed over the years. And a highly debated topic refers to our, it's our mind's desire to correlate a cause with a belief that it has created a specific event. And obviously more commonly said, cause and effect. Now, cause and effect has a basis in a fallacy to logic because we can't always prove without a reasonable doubt that one thing completely caused the result of another. Now, I could easily argue that a plane crash causing the death of passengers as easily arguable, but what about events that are happening in a person's life that is causing them to make poor choices later? Now, these are arguments that are used in courts to get reduced sentences for convicted murderers by arguing that childhood events led them to make the choices that they made in the future. But I also couldn't argue that this wasn't the case because, you know, just as it is almost impossible to prove cause and effect, it's probably just as impossible to disprove it because we would have to be able to take all factors into consideration that we can't see, such as you know, the genetic makeup, uh, possible variables regarding their character traits, uh, personality, even mental health, or mental health issues present before the occurrence. Now, this has been a tough year for many of us. You know, as I can, I can hardly imagine not knowing someone or knowing of someone who has died um, as a result of this COVID, as it's estimated that, and I think now over 600,000 deaths. 
It's estimated as over 80,000 deaths of drug overdoses in 2020. You know, financial hardships for many, and for those of us in recovery, discomfort, pain, immense sadness, and in some cases, unbearable anger can cause a battle within us that I like to call those whispers of Beelzebub or that devil and benefactor, the kindly helper. My guest today has been on our show. And actually, when I first started this podcast, he was one of my first. Joe Potosi, who is the author of When the Dust Settled Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And he had sent me a message with a topic that I think is perfect today and especially during these times, and can probably be highly relatable to a lot of people out there. You know, cause and effects, relapse prevention sits at the core to this idea because we plan for things that will happen, might happen, or could happen. Sometimes to plan for the unexpected. When does it become too much? And this obviously depends on the person. And I'm really glad that Joe reached out to me because this sounds like, honestly, he is hurting. And it is highly admirable that he's willing to share his story. Joe, I want to thank you for coming back on our show today. Eric, thank you for this opportunity. And I love how you opened up the show. And I know this isn't the topic for tonight, but... I would love to debate you more about the number of COVID deaths because it isn't what you think. Um, and all you have to do is go to the CDC website, but that's a different topic for a different time. But thank you for everything you do for the greater good of mankind. I have the utmost respect for you. I love you like a brother, man. Yeah, I thank you, man. You know, I, I wanted to ask you now, so... You know, I, you know, Joe, I know you, you know, obviously you grew up within pain. I mean, that's been your foundation from early on with your abuse and everything that you went through. Um, and then now, obviously, this is something that's continuing for you. So tell us a little bit about what's going on. Okay. First of all, you said something I want to hit on, and that is cause and effect. I don't know if you've ever heard people say, you know, why is he an alcoholic or why is he so abusive toward his wife and toward his children? He beats his kids all the time. And you might hear somebody retort because he was beaten. It's a learned behavior, right? Cause and effect. And I, I can tell you that I have two sons and I broke, I broke that cycle of abuse and neglect and abandonment. And so I met with you last summer. At that time, I just had back surgery. And so you can imagine it was a rough recovery time. I was off work for like two months. And in October, my mother, my wife got COVID and she almost died. She spent six days in ICU. And it was a, the first three days were very touch and go. And um, she, um, it was just surreal, right? And then, uh, the you know, she recovered. She came home, and she had this brain fog, memory lapses, and 
it took her quite a while to get back to herself due to this COVID. She had a pre-existing condition and it just took advantage of it. About a month later, I got pneumonia. And during this, probably for the last three years, my mother-in-law has been very ill uh, with pulmonary fibrosis. And we don't know for a fact if COVID accelerated her condition or not, but long story short, short, she died in December. So my wife had COVID, I got pneumonia, my mother-in-law died. And the day she died was the day my father died six years prior. And it was also on my brother's birthday. And it was a very difficult time in my life. And um, trying to come to grips with everything. Initially, the first couple of weeks, I was a strong person. I kept everything in. I had to be strong for my kids. They were extremely close to the grandmother. I had to be strong for my wife. But I was suffering silently on the inside. All, the, all this causation had built up. And I wasn't dealing with it the way it should have been. Not to mention, on top of all this, ever since I was a child, being beaten physically, being berated, being talked down to, being treated like an animal, for years and years had caused changes in my psyche, changes in my, as a young person, the chemistry in your brain changes when you suffer abuse. And that's been scientifically proven. And of course, I didn't know that as a young kid or even as an adolescent, but I, when I went into treatment, I discovered, I learned about PTSD. I learned about the depression, the anxiety and the triggers. And um, so I guess it, it kind of brought everything to the forefront. And I mentioned to you earlier how being in a program and back when I first got married, I put myself in an inpatient or outpatient program. And then from there, I joined a 12-step program, found a sponsor, went through the steps, learned all these tools. But not only did I learn them, I applied them to my life. All these traumatic events were hitting me back to back to back. And it, it came to be too much, right? The causation of all these things. It kind of hits a point to where it just becomes overbearable. Exactly. And I didn't mention this before, but there was also a job loss prior to everything else. So it was a, a ton of stuff. And I wasn't coping with it the way a person in recovery needs to because those urges to want to drink again would surface, those urges to say, screw it, you know, I need a break, this is too much. But I just fought the good fight and just continued to re-energize myself and just to get back into the big book and to hit those meetings, whether I felt I needed them or not. And not only would I go to the meetings, I would be in contact with, with my sponsor, and I would speak because for me, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, when I share what I'm going through, it's a release, right? And someone else may need to hear that because they may have those causes in their life and there's the effect of that cause. And 
they don't know how to come to grips with it. Yeah, you're an example of somebody that obviously has done it and you are still sober. You know, it's scary and I and I get the, you know, it is very scary, you know, when we think about our minds, you know, those that have been through all the drug abuse or alcoholism and things like that. And we hit these points where we have this pain or we have this suffering and our crazy minds, you know, start saying, I know it'll fix it. I know what I can do to, to control it, to numb it, to push these feelings away. So I don't have to feel it. And is that kind of what you sort of battled with? Exactly. Yes, sir. And you know, I'm not proud of this, Eric, but when I was deep in my addiction, before I came to Christ and before I had this change, um, I lost everything over drinking. Lost my house, lost my job, lost my car. Do you think that would be enough to quit? But it wasn't. Our minds, they, they have a tendency of forgetting painful things. Yes. You know, and so we, and then we also obviously rationalize it's not going to happen this time. You know, I'm older, I'm smarter, I can handle it. It'll be different. And, and there's one thing too, Eric, you, you're fully aware of euphoric recall. And I think I was experiencing a lot of that. Or to put it another way, you know, I had over 20 years sobriety, 22 years sobriety. And there got to be a point where I felt like I, I, I need to reward myself by drinking, like as a milestone. And your mind just blocks off all the destruction, all the, the calamity drinking that caused in my life. Mm -hmm. I destroyed relationships, but by God's grace, I've been able to restore those relationships with the most important people in my life, my sister, couple of my brothers and you know um it's just it's a powerful thing and you know for me when i reflect on the serenity prayer god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change i can't change the evolution of this covid or you know what's going on but you know, the courage to change the things you can yes and isn't that true in everyday life? If we meditate on that, there's a lot of things I can't change, but I can change my perspective. And when things come into my life and there's a causation, there's a cause that's not very favorable, it's not something I am happy about, I have a couple choices. Like I, we met, we met just before the show started and I shared with you my one of my good friends died suddenly, and um, it's sad, right? And this man was never married, doesn't have any kids. He was only 43. And it kind of like puts perspective on my life, right? When I'm dead and gone, Eric, I'm confident my legacy will be one of will be a good legacy, a person who was an excellent father, or not a perfect father, but a good father, a person who loved his family above everything, 
and had his he had his struggles like everybody else, but he never quit. That's the key. That's what I want to say. In spite of what it looks like, in spite of what it feels like, in my darkest days, I just don't quit. I don't give up because I know perseverance. Ever since I was a little little kid, I was always hoped tomorrow would be a better day. It's really important that we have, you know, things in place that we can grab onto. You know, when we hit those points where we want to give up, we want to say, fuck it. You know, I mean, that's the scariest place to get is when you get to that spot, you know, but, you know, to be able to have that, have those things in place, you can grab onto the support system, the people that you, you can have in your life, you know, you know, as you said, I mean, sharing your story, you know, one of the greatest things that we can do is to let this stuff out. We share it, you know, we can, we can hand our problems over to other people so they can worry about it. Right. <laughs> and that, that I think is such a powerful thing, just sharing our story. It allows us to sort of release a lot of the built up tension that's behind a lot of that stuff. Yes, sir. I agree hundred percent. How long have you got sober right now? 23 and a half years. So when you hit that point where you had said that you uh, wanted to reward yourself. Right. You did drink. No, I did not. Drink. You didn't drink. Okay. No. Okay. So you, you got to that place, but then you talked yourself out of it. Right. Okay. And, you know, there was the day that it really hit me hard. Like I had those strong urges and I fought those urges off and every day from there, it just, you know, just got less and less because I, I would meditate on the things I needed to meditate on and focus on the things I can control, focus on my attitude, focus on my program and focus on in spite of what, I'm going through, I'm going to be clear-minded, sober thinking, and just be a warrior, more or less. Yeah, I can relate, you know, what we were talking about earlier, I can relate so highly to, you know, the forgetting the pain, you know, I mean, my relapse in 2013, where I went on a six-month run, and I did relapse, uh, you know, I mean, if I had really thought about 2001, 2002, you know, getting arrested four times a six month, looking at 15 years in prison, you know, and living that insane life, lost everything, you know, my family wanted nothing to do with me, you know, I'm living in hotels. How can somebody think that that's a good decision, you know, to make that choice to use? It's that's insane, you know? That is insane. Um, because yeah, somehow we lose focus. We, we, we forget that pain and that's, you know, and um, so how did you, you know, when you, so recently, obviously you've been struggling. I mean, you know, you've with your, with your, you know, thoughts of maybe drinking and stuff like that. What have you done? What have you been doing? I've been going to a lot of meetings and um, my one sponsor passed away and he passed away right around the time everything else was going on. And this is going to sound maybe bizarre to you. Maybe it won't. But AA would have, like, functions. You know, like, I think it's the first Sunday of each month they have, like, a breakfast. 
you pay a minimal fee for a breakfast and then there's a speaker right afterwards. And suddenly, or I, I felt like out of place. I felt like they don't, these people are not relatable anymore. And, you know, what's why am I even going to this, you know? So I was continued to going down, like, to the point where I was almost at a point of a, a, a really hard relapse. And for me, my motivation, to be completely honest, has been my children. When I was a kid, my motivation was my kid brothers. I, you know, in, in spite of the fact that we lived in an alcoholic home and there was physical abuse at the hands of my mom and my stepdad, you know, I was the protector of my younger siblings and my sister. And when I became a father, um, I was really afraid to take on that role because of what I endured. And I was worried about being just like my stepdad or just like my dad. Um, what kept me sober for so long outside of the meetings and outside of my relationship with God through Christ was my program, right? And knowing that I don't want my kids to be subjected to coming home to an alcoholic father who is, you know, mean, a mean drunk or whatever the case is. So, and even though they're adults now, 22 and 20, they're still my motivation. There's, that's my drive, right? And that's the best way I can put it. And so you have a strong faith in God. Yes, sir. Let me ask you a question, and I, I'm, I'm always curious on this, you know, with uh, you, you obviously at some point in time didn't have a faith. Did what? You didn't have a faith in God at some point. Right, right. Um, so you, would you say you were an atheist? Well, technically, as a child, I would go to church, and I would hear the stories about God and his son, Jesus. But my, my dilemma was, as I look back, I couldn't trust the people that were my caretakers. I couldn't trust my mom or my dad because he was out of the picture. I couldn't trust my stepdad, who I see, feel, and touch. How can I believe in this God or trust in this God I can't see, right? So a tr trust issue was huge for me. And that was, I guess you could say that was another cause and effect because of the, the, the mistrust or the not trusting in those people, I couldn't trust in God. It wasn't until I was at one of my lower points in my life. I met my wife. We both so we both drank probably four nights a week. And it was an Easter of 97. Um, we're, we're newly married. And I put myself in the outpatient treatment program because I knew I had to change. I had, if I didn't stop drinking, I'll either be locked up or buried up, right? Um, I went to Easter service and I heard the gospel message for the probably thousandth time, but I was ready to trust in him full and completely <coughs> with all my heart. Yeah, I still had questions. I still had doubts. But I began to meet with my pastor. So some people, you know, I recommend people go to counseling 
But there's a lot of people that don't take the traditional route, like coming to see you. They may go see a friend or a pastor. And that's what I did. Every week I met with my pastor and I worked through a lot of my issues. And um, I, I just began to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. And by default, I began to trust people because I didn't trust people. I did not trust people. People get too close to me, I'll push them away, right? And that was just part of my makeup. Again, cause and effect. You did me wrong once, twice, three times, 50 times. I can't trust you. I can't have you in my life. And um, I, I believe with all my heart, God has taken my, my past experiences, good, bad, and ugly, and he's taken my personality and my life experiences, whatever, and he's used that to impact people that maybe you couldn't impact if we were in the same realm, so to speak. And some people say, well, being a Christian is a crutch. No, it's not. And some people say, well, it's a fallacy. It's this or it's that. And my response to you would be, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by examining the claims of Christ, right? And listen, he accepted me. I was broken. I have, I have scars. I had baggage. And he adopted me into his family fully and completely. And once I totally grasped that concept, I was able to release a lot of this stuff that I was carrying all these years. And that's what brought forth writing the book. I mean, the book was a journal initially. I was a young father and I still had some issues I was working through. So I would journal this stuff down. I would write stories down and I would read them out loud to my wife who's read a thousand books. And she's a mental health nurse and she suggested I write a book because it can help so many people. And I'm not saying my story is unique that what I went through as a child is the worst case of child abuse ever. I'm not saying that. But my story is unique in the sense that it talks about the tenacity, the forgiveness, and uh, just never giving up, never quitting. As I said before, you know, in spite of what it looks like, I knew I had a value and a significance. I knew that this too will pass. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was kind of touching on that because, you know, it's interesting with me and I, I've always tried, I've always talked with people about this, you know. Um, you know, faith for me has always been a battle. And, and I don't know why sometimes, you know, because I mean, I'm a, I'm always a, I'm a big questioner, you know, um, I, you know, a debate and all that stuff. And, and I've always felt that why can I not have that faith? You know, like I see people out there that just have this blind faith or whatever, you know, I don't know what you call it, but, um, you know, and it's like, I, I, I struggle with it. You know, it's, it's a constant battle for me. You know, I mean, even today, you know, we look at like, my God, why is all this happening? Everything happening the way that it is, you know, please don't answer this question, but I want you to think about it. Did you get the vaccine? It's either yes or no answer, right? People have gotten this vaccine 
based on what they've heard from the CDC or medical doctors that it's going to protect you, it's going to give you some peace of mind, etc. And people are taking this vaccine by faith. Are they not? There's no research. We are the research. Those who have taken the vaccine are the research. So they take this vaccine and, you know, because of this pandemic, because they're trusting in what their elected officials are telling them or the medical professionals, and they believe in them. You know, they trust their doctors or whatever. So much like I shared with you before, I've been sick with, um, they thought I had a double ear infection, and then there was a sinus infection, and they put me on two different types of antibiotics, and then they put me on, the second antibiotic was something I've never been on before, but I took it, and I took it by faith. How do I know that medicine wasn't going to kill me? Hmm. I know, don't even know how to pronounce the medicine. I never took it before, but I took it by faith. It's blind faith. And it's that same concept that I personally believe that for for me, I know, I believe personally that the AA program is a Christian-based program. Right. Now, I know people's higher powers are their dog or their meeting or their sponsor, whatever. I don't want to debate that. No, it was founded off of uh, the Oxford Group, which is a Christian organization. You know, and so, yeah, no, it is based within the Christian faith. Um, right. And a lot of the stuff that's in the big book are actually based on concepts and principles that are found in the Bible. Right. And when you, you know, you hear people say, if you work the program, it works. Work It works if you work it. And if we work it with an open mind, with a clean heart, and, you know, put judgments aside or whatever, it can work for you. And I believe God is the source of the program. God, the creator of the universe, cause and effect. God spoke the universe into existence. That was the cause. And the effect was, some people say the Big Bang or whatever, the, the earth came into existence and our universe came into existence. That was the effect. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, that... uh well, that argument, too, with God, you know, it's like people think like, well, you can't prove God, but you can't disprove God either. There's there's I don't want to get off topic, but there's been a lot of atheists, uh, scientists, atheists, um, archaeologists that have found discoveries or civilizations that we didn't know existed. But the Bible clearly talks about them. Just like um, there was a massive flood on earth and no one believed that for thousands or hundreds of years. Now it's proven to be true. Um, I can go on and on, but the point is, you know, I just encourage people to just examine all those things. Well, and it's interesting with me because I, you know, I believe in God, but I also have a lot of doubts. I was reading a book and this really hit it, hit it home for me is, um, uh, and, and the book said, what is faith, right? And faith is just not giving up. And that hit home for me. And that's what I thought, you know, because I do believe in God. I mean, I do. And I, but, but again, it's not a consistently strong, sometimes it's stronger than other times, 
you know, and so it's a, it, it is a, you know, and so that, that statement in that book really kind of hit home and that made a lot of sense to me, you know. And you said something else too, Eric, you're like, why are all these things happening to me? You know, I have to tell you, before I became a Christian, once I made that decision, I thought all these things, life would be a cakewalk that, you know, I wouldn't face cancer. I wouldn't face job loss. I wouldn't face surgeries. But guess what? It was after I became a Christian over the years, I faced a multitude of issues. Mm-hmm. But I'm reminded, sir, that I'm never alone. It's like that footprints in the sand. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's two sets of prints and then there's only one set. Christ carried me through those most difficult times. And, you know, somebody asked me a while back, what kept you going? Why were you able to, you know, stay off the drink and for so long? And I just tell people I take it one day at a time, you know. And I've learned as an adult how to deal. You know, I've learned coping skills. And I've learned to reach out for help. Most men don't like to do that, right? If we face the facts. Mm-hmm. And I don't find any shame in that. I think a person who is struggling and, you know, even after years of sobriety, you feel like you hit rock bottom and you're on the verge of something awful that some people say, forget it, man. And the thing is, though, when we go to that place, when we have that relapse, wake up the next day, guess what? The problems are still there. You know, the cancer is still there, right? I mean, yeah, it's the same principle of what people say with recovery. Once I get sober, life's going to be easy. No, that's not. And actually, in some cases, life's going to be harder because you got to feel now. You know, you actually have to work through your problems instead of avoiding your problems. Exactly. You know? And as I said, to my shame, when all these things happened last year, it's just like boom, boom, boom. And I kind of just wasn't working through those pro- program those problems the way I had I had for years prior. You know, it was just so overwhelming. You know, and um, I can see how easy it would be to for some people to just give up, but I want to encourage people to never give up. Don't never lose hope because look, you guys, I don't know you. You don't know me. You have a value and a a significance that's unmeasurable in spite of what you feel like, in spite of the mistakes you've made. And believe me, I made my share, right? But you still have a purpose whether as a father, as a mother, a productive person in your society, you know, don't, don't let the despair get to the point where, you know, this, a lot of this stuff, there's people that are committing suicide during this whole pandemic because up until recently, everyone's locked up in their homes. Domestic violence has escalated, you know, and people just can't cope with what's going on around them. And maybe they're too prideful to reach out for help. I don't know. I'm not an expert on the issue, but I, I want to encourage you to please 
know that I believe in you and I love you all in a very special way. Like you, I mean, you're a great example, you know, that, I mean, you've gone through this pain, you've gone through these things and now you stand up, you know, you stand up and you're able to share your stories with people. You're able to, you know, come forward and, and tell people that this is what I've gone through, but I didn't have to return to that old behavior, you know? Um, and I mean, that's the biggest message of it all is, yeah, don't give up, keep pushing forward, you know? That made me think of a illustration or an example. You ever watch a dog when he gets sick, he throws up and he walks away from it. Then he goes back and he eats his own vomit. <laughs> That's what it's like for me, right? Yeah. And I don't want to eat my own vomit, right? No. <laughs> because there's nothing good that comes out of that. Yeah. And I try to have this attitude that I'm allergic. I'm allergic to alcohol. And when I partake of it, these are the side effects. These, This is what happens. And it's nothing good, you know. And there's so much more to life for all of us. Whether you're, your addiction is pills or, you know, heroin or cocaine or marijuana. And by the way, a lot of people say, you know, there's a lot of states are making marijuana legal, medical marijuana or whatever. I still think it's a crutch because a lot of people are getting around it to get access to the drugs and it leads to other things. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think about this, you know, and I've, I think I've said this before, but you know, like, I mean, there's like certain drugs out there that sure I could probably do, you know, um, LSD was one of my favorite drugs. Right. I mean, I loved it. You know, meth was my favorite, but I mean, you know, LSD and, you know, it's like, you can't get addicted to it. You know, you're using such a small amount, but I don't do it. And I don't do it for a very good reason, you know, because I like to have all of my faculties, you know, I like to be able to, you know, make good decisions and do good things. And, you know, if I'm pumping LSD in my brain, that is not going to help smoking weed. You know, I'm one of those people that, you know, I don't care what it is. I will do it and I will do a lot of it. You know, if it gives me any kind of buzz or any kind of good feeling, you know, I'll sit and smoke an ounce in a, in a freaking day, you know, <laughs> and then I get nothing accomplished, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and I always tell, you know, like when I work with clients, I, you know, I'm all about education and self-responsibility, you know, I'll educate you, um, you're going to make the choice, you know, and, but the most important question to ask yourself is, you know, where do you want to go in, in your life? You know, what are you reaching for? What are your goals, your dreams, your vision? What do you want to do? And is that drug going to help you get there? You know, and I think that's an important question to ask ourselves. Well, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. So a person, let's say they're a, <clears throat> an alcoholic, they're in recovery and they are using marijuana as, you know, for pain relief. I know people that do this and, and they say they're sober. I don't agree with that. Well, that's the argument of harm reduction, you know? So harm reduction is, you know, okay, so somebody's doing something to reduce, you know, the pain. The, the question that I ask people when we define a relapse, you know, what is a relapse, Right. 
And it really comes back to, I think, the reason why you're doing it, right? You know, if, if, you know, if I get in a car accident and they put me on morphine, I've, you know, compound fractures and stuff like that. That's not really a relapse, you know, if it's a, if it's something of a necessity, right. Um, but for those of us that have the, the crutch of substance abuse, you know, that, that could be debilitating for us. Um, you know, the important thing for me is that I understand I can handle a lot of pain. My body can handle a lot of pain for me to reach out for something that is that euphoric type something, it's got to be bad. It's got to be really bad. So, you know, so again, it goes back to if I'm smoking weed, okay, to help pain, but I'm also doing it because I like the buzz. That's a relapse. You know, if you're doing it for the buzz, you know, if I'm doing it because I like the feeling, yeah, that's kind of a relapse, you know, um, because what's that going to lead to? And that is the, the biggest problem behind it is what's it going to lead. So it really goes back to why are you doing it? And that's how I kind of define a relapse for people. You know, you know if I can shift gears here a little bit, we're talking about cause and effect. And I, I was sharing with you a lot of the negative consequences from different causations in my life. I'd like to share some good causation or some good things that have happened. So my son graduated from the local university last weekend. But what I did was a couple of years back, I took a pay cut to go work at this university where he went in order that he can go for free, right? The tuition was like 30000 a year. But by me working there, it was free for him. So there's another example of cause and effect because I made that decision to... Some people might say it was a sacrifice. I'm saying I did it for my kid, right? And from that decision and that cause to go there, the effect was he graduated debt-free. He has no college debt. So there's a lot of good things, the same principle of cause and effect that have happened in my life as well. And, you know, it's so it's a good thing. It's similar to, you know, even looking at like impulse control. I mean, you got consequences, you know, there's positive and negative consequences to everything that we do. And so, I mean, that's, that's a little bit too sort of related to the cause and effect, you know, factor that, you know, if I do this, what's going to happen, you know, what are the consequences that I could experience from this, you know? Right. Um, and again, good decision makers are those that think about those, <laughs> you know, that we think about them. And based on the best information we have, we'll make a decision um, and hopefully get the good, good effects. Right. Right. And so, I mean, I mentioned this before, my kids are my motivation. My kids are my life. And, you know, I hope I never lose that relationship, but I know if I was to go back to drinking, a very strong possibility I can lose that, right? Mm -hmm. That with my children, my wife, I can lose my marriage. And that's motivation to persevere, mm -hmm. you know, because um, I know it's like to lose everything and I can't go down that road again, you know? And so I have to put things in my life. You know, when I first, when I first went to treatment, outpatient treatment and, 
I was uh, really on fire for God as a brand new Christian. I knew a lot of people in the community. We used to play darts, like in the bars or whatever. And we had nothing in common anymore, you know, and I just didn't really associate with those people. But they knew my phone number. They knew where to find me. But, you know, I had to make decisions that were going to, you know, better me. Not to put myself in a situation where I may relapse or, you know, may say, oh, screw it, I'm going to have a drink. And that goes along with the program, Eric. I know you know this all too well. If you would continue to hang around some of your buddies you used to get high with, you know, after a time, that, that can be very detrimental to your sobriety, correct? And so we have to make those tough decisions. I don't really feel it was that tough. I mean, because my sobriety was more important, you know? And at the end of the day, those friends were replaced with solid, good Christian men, most of which were fathers that I would try to emulate and learn from because I never had that myself. A good, you know, good, solid foundation surrounding me. And these guys didn't drink, didn't partake in other drugs, and they taught me so many lessons, you know, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it's looking for the people that have the qualities that you want to have within you. Yes. Yeah. That's huge, right? Yeah. Yep. And sometimes you have to humble yourself, you know, and ask questions. And, you know, and that's what I've done. I'm not afraid. I mean, I never learned how to work on, I can fix minor repairs around the house. But if you ask me to rewire your house, I don't have a clue because I never learned it. And I'm not afraid to say that. But, you know, or if I get lost in Chicago, where, you know, I'm from right outside Chicago, but I'm not afraid to stop in that directions. But the, the stereotypical male doesn't do those things because they're too prideful or whatever. And I think with me in sobriety, when I, or when I'm struggling with the things I was really, you know, not too long ago, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and call my sponsor or talk to the other guys in the meetings and just be my genuine self. Don't try to put on the crap. Don't try to pretend like you know all the ins and outs of the program and not work it. Just be sincere and be real. That's how I found real sobriety. Hmm. One of the ways, you know. Well, I want to ask you, um, you know, as I always like to ask everybody on the show, you know, if you had a message to give to people out there that are suffering right now, that are really struggling, what would that be? Certainly. Um, there's, this is a, a quote that I, I try to live by, and it goes like this. Your condition does not have to be your conclusion, right? So maybe the condition you're living in right now is less than favorable, Maybe you've had a relapse or maybe some traumatic things have happened in your life and you're kind of stuck in that place, right? Due to COVID, you lost your job. Maybe you lost a loved one and it's just brought you down. You become deeply depressed or whatnot. You don't need to stay there. It doesn't have to be your conclusion. I encourage you to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, dust yourself off and move on. And that nine times out of 10 is going to require you reaching out for help to 
put aside your pride, put aside your, maybe your, you know, what you, your perception of the program or whatever aside and just open yourself up so that people can help you and they can share with you what their experiences have been so that you can get through it. But never give up, never quit. And as I said, probably three times by now, if you fall down eight times, get up nine. Because you have that significance and a purpose in your life. I don't know what that is. Eric don't know what that is. God knows what that is. And you have a purpose. I think part of it is is people figuring out their strengths. And I always believe that, you know, what your strengths are have got to be something related to a purpose for you. Right. You know, because you have them for a reason. Right. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on here today. Thank you, sir. And I want to thank you again, Eric. Um, I've been watching your shows when I can, and I just have so much respect for you and what you're doing in the, for the greater good of mankind. Maybe, you know, I want to encourage you too. Maybe there's times you feel like what difference is your podcast making anyway? Why keep doing it? I want to encourage you to, to press on, man, because you are making a difference. You might not get an email or you might not get a text message or something on messenger saying, wow, thanks, dude. Because typically that doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. In huge numbers. But as far as I'm concerned, you're making a big difference. And we need more people like you. Thank you, Joe. I'm, I'm glad you said that, too, because, I mean, I literally do sometimes. I, I think I go, eh, I don't know if I should do this anymore kind of thing, you know. Um, and uh, But that's exactly what I do. I just kind of keep doing it. And it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm uh, and I hope I am. I hope I am making a difference. I'm hoping I, you know, that we, I mean, again, this is, I always like to kind of say this is our podcast because, you know, this isn't just me. Um, you know, I've got people like you and, you know, other guests that I've had on the show that, uh, you know, have great messages. You know, you're, you're that message of strength, you know, that, that no matter what happens in our life, we can push through, you know, we can, right. we can walk through it. Um, and, you know, the one thing I wanted to say to you, and I was thinking about this, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, doing this for your family, your wife, your kids and stuff like that. Make sure you're doing it for you too. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's going to be the most powerful part of it all, you know? And that has to come first. Yeah. That's I'm glad you brought that up and you're absolutely right because I am worthy and I am deserving to have a life of happiness and a life of sobriety and a life of fulfillment. And I won't find those things if I return to the alcohol, right? Yep. And, and you know, I made terrible, terrible choices when I was in active addiction. And I regret those decisions. And, you know, we're going back 25, 30, 28 years ago when I got the DUI. And some people in my extended family remind, you know, they, they still keep that in the back of their mind, you know, and it's like, I'm not that person anymore. I have a different walk. Mm -hmm. I have a different talk and you can have it too. And there's so many people, Eric, that are suffering in silence. I'm going to tell you a quick story. 
I met this young man named Sean. He's in college. I only met him once. Fine young man. You know, seemed very bright. Seemed like he has a good future. And then um, his friend, my, my other friend, he was at his house. His name was Sean. He was kind of like mentoring him. And he's in the program. And then, I don't know, about a week or so ago, I saw a message on Facebook that this young man died. Mm. He killed himself. Pills and alcohol. This young man was suffering in silence. That's just a prime example. That's the true pandemic here. And that's that's the, the message I think really is, is that it is not a weakness to ask for help. No. That's a strength, actually. Right. But... On the flip side, it takes a lot of courage for you to do what you do in terms of sharing your story, for me to share my story, to be transparent. I'm not looking for pats on the back. I'm trying to say, look, man, I was a mess, right? But if I can get through it, so can you, you know? And um, it, it just breaks my heart when you hear stories like that. You know, all these older people, younger people that are just taking their own lives yep. because they're so ashamed. Mm-hmm. Let's not be ashamed. Yep. Let's reach out for help. And it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be remorse, you know, sorrowful and remorseful. Because I know of a lot of people that are willing to help, but they don't know about you if you're still hiding in your house you know, you're a closet drunk or a closet junkie, for lack of a better term, and you're self-medicating, and, you know, the the addiction is getting worse and worse, and it's taking more and more of you every time, and you're losing your job, and you're losing the relationships, and you think it's going to get better. I'll quit tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, and you buy an eight bar, whatever it is. I just want to encourage people to just please reach out for that help. It's not that difficult. Listen, Eric, we like to complicate things. When we were talking about faith before and my faith in God, we like to complicate it. What I mean is I thought I had to be perfect. I had to not have any unclean thoughts in my mind or any alcohol in my system or any I had to be perfect before and come before God and ask him to accept me. That's not the way it works. And in the program, the program will help you get clean from the inside out. If you just reach out for help, it works if you work it. Well, Joe, I want to thank you again. And, uh, Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning into another episode of high wall clean. And as I always like to say, keep getting high but let's do it clean. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Darkness, we find the light.